Hey, you're listening to the American Landman Podcast, show number two. Welcome back to this week's episode of the American Landman, where we buy, manage, and sell American land. Uh, it is now, what is it, about April 27th today, and gosh, in northern Wisconsin here. I live up in the Indian Head region of northwest Wisconsin, kind of along the St. Croix River uh, Valley, kind of where the St. Croix River meets the Mississippi River, and that's the boundary of Wisconsin. Just, it's God's country, but man, if you look at the uh, the weather maps, that cold front just dips down into our area where everybody else is starting to enjoy, you know, green grass and they're out turkey hunting and they're fishing and we've got we got weather that's spitting snow and I don't think I've I've seen the sun shine in I don't know how many days, weeks even. It's just been hanging on forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm ready to get out there and start turning over some food plot soil and planting some seed and just getting on with it because I had enough of uh, winter. But it's holding on; it's just hanging on forever. Today it looks pretty good though. It's uh, it got up maybe into the high 40s. Woo! It's uh, really warmed up, but it feels like it might as well be 80 because it's it's been cold and it's been wet and it's been damp and and, and cloudy for months. I swear, but. Uh, well, enough about my woes. Let's get into the show today. Today, I got a really cool guest on, and he's a name that you've probably heard of in the industry or a face that you've seen. His name is Jeff Propes. Jeff is a, uh, a longtime uh, celebrity, in my opinion. He's kind of a rock star. He started out with the Drury uh, team, Mark and Terry and him uh, started out calling competitively uh, turkeys and then they started shooting uh, video back in the day when before we had these fancy digital cameras and they carried around the big equipment and had VHS camera uh, tape and you know put everything on on tape and then they got in the DVDs and uh, you know things progressed from there but Jeff comes on he talks a little bit about uh, his life in the outdoor industry I, I wish we would have dug a little bit deeper into maybe the marketary jewelry story we might have to do that someday again soon but uh, Jeff is also a land specialist, real estate agent for Whitetail Properties, and he gets uh, into the market. And we talk a little bit about uh, you know his uh, wisdom, if you will, a little bit about his farm that he purchased, and uh, a little bit about the industry. So it's a really good discussion with a fantastic guy, somebody I really consider uh, a mentor for myself in the industry and just a good friend. So. Uh, let's go ahead and bring him on. This is Jeff Probst of Whitetail Properties Real Estate. All right. Well, hey, today I want to welcome a special guest, Jeff Probst from uh, Whitetail Properties Real Estate. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing good, buddy. I uh, want to say before we got on the phone here, we were I was thanking you for getting on the call because you're out uh, mowing the lawn. A little envious of that. So. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, and I actually I thought your 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 wife was going to tell me you're out in the tractor putting in a food plot or something, but not so. Well, I'd rather be putting in a food plot, but un, I, fortunately and unfortunately, I have a really really big yard out in the country, and it takes a lot of mowing. So yeah. I was out mowing grass. Well, you you guys live on a farm, right? We do. We yeah. uh, we got 250 acres here in northeast Missouri and Clark County, and uh, we live here full time on the farm, and and uh, it's about 10 miles out of town, and it's peaceful and quiet, and I just love it here. We've been here nine years. Is that uh, one of the places that you do a lot of a lot of hunting? It is. Yeah, I hunt here, and then I've got a couple other farms that I hunt as well, uh, reasonably close to home here, but I do the majority of my hunting right here on my own farm. Well, 
Well, let's back up a little bit, and we'll, we're going to dive into that because that's definitely interesting. I want to hear a little bit more of that. But um, for the people who maybe have been living under a rock for a while, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and a little bit about you know whatever you want to say. But Jeff has been in the industry for many, many years, and if you're like me, um, when I first met you, I, I was a little starstruck. I mean, you're one of those guys I grew up watching, and and we've seen you on the Drury team. But why don't you go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself a little bit about your career and and then we'll take off from there. Sure. Well, I'm Jeff Probst, and I live up here in, in northeast Missouri, and I've, well, I'm currently a sales agent for Whitetail Properties. I've been here since the company started. I'm just actually getting ready to start my 15th year. Uh, well, April 24th would have been 15 years, started my 15th year, and actually when the company started. And uh, prior to that, I was sales rep in the hunting industry uh, for 18 years, primarily in the archery world. I, uh, I sold products all over. Well, I had like 80 accounts in three states that I called on uh, with, with several archery product lines. My main lines were Easton and Hoyt, Hoyt bows and Easton arrows. And then we had a bunch of product lines underneath that. So I've uh, been involved in the hunting industry probably the majority of my life, one way or another. And uh, that's pretty much my life story. Well, actually, before I did that, I actually worked in a, I worked in a factory for 14 years. And my family, my dad and my grandpa worked there, and then I worked there. And in 1991, they decided to shut that factory down. And <laughs> I, I started in sales in 91. Uh, my good friend Mark Gurry was, uh, was in the, uh, the hunting industry as a sales rep, and they had an opening in the rep agency that he worked for. And he called me up and he knew I was losing my job and, and extended the, an offer to come to work with their group. And I started there and ended up running my work there for a few years. And I ran my own business for about, oh, 12 years. And in the last six years of my career, I worked, or excuse me, the last eight years, I worked for Hoyt and Easton and, and the Outtech rep organization out of Ohio. So been, been well involved in the hunting world for a lot of years. I, uh, Love to hunt and fish, love the outdoors. I'm primarily a bow hunter and uh, did a lot of videoing for a lot of years. And, and uh, you mentioned the, the Drury team. I'm Mark Drury and Terry Drury are very good friends of mine. And we filmed for them, for me and my son, for 15 years. Yeah. And we actually retired from filming in 2016. And we're just hunting now and hung the cameras up. So that's pretty much my life story. And, then, uh, you know, right now, currently with Whitetail Properties and Plan on being here till I retire. So yeah, it's been a pretty good ride. I think maybe the one of the first times I ever talked to you, I sitting at a meeting next to you, and I brought up that I always enjoyed watching you. I, I don't know why this sticks in my head, but it does. I can still picture <laughs> you and your son in a stand, and if I was say, remember this right, a big a good sized buck, you know, one fifty, one sixty class. I'd say he was coming by. I think you or your son. I want to think it was your son squatted down and shot this thing but you were in the tree with him do you do you am i remember a hunt correct do you remember oh that? yeah that was uh that was actually uh well we killed two bucks that morning we were it was a very very interesting hunt we were we were bow hunting together and it was chris's turn to run the camera that day and i was hunting and one of the target bucks that we were trying to kill a big nine pointer really nice buck 150 class nine point five year old buck was uh it was living in this part of the farm and we went in and set up that morning and sure enough he uh we we're in the timber and he come walking through and and i and i shot him and about i don't know about seven thirty in the morning and 
I hit him back a little bit. He was right under the tree, and when I, I grunted real soft to stop him, and it, it, he didn't like it. It spooked him a little bit, and he ran off down the hill. And I had to lean around kind of another tree to get the shot off and consequently hit him back and actually liver shot him. And he ran off, and I, I knew I'd hit him back. So I told Chris, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down and get my arrow. We give it a few minutes. I said, I'm going to ease down there and get my arrow and uh, see see what we got. So I got to the base. I climbed down. I'm standing there at the base of the, at the, tree, st- of the tree stand, and I looked across the hollow, and I see another big buck standing over there rubbing a tree and he didn't see me and i just i looked up to chris and i said uh, there's a big shooter buck over there and I, I, I didn't know what buck it was at the time i could just see it over there on the ridge and uh, i said and i had let my bow down and because i was going to take my bow with me when i went to look for that arrow and he said so i literally tied my bow back on the rope he pulled my bow up in the tree by now the buck's coming towards us walking directly at the tree and he let the camera down on the rope. I sent my bow back up, and the deer walks up 15 yards of the tree. And I'm filming, hugging up into the tree, and he shot the deer and killed it. No and way. we killed those two big shooter bucks like 12 or 15 minutes apart, as I recall. It was just amazing. And it was something we'll never duplicate again, I'm sure. It was just one of those just one of those things, I guess, it was just pure luck. Yeah. And uh, both bucks were 150-class bucks. And uh, shot him with with my bow, uh, and one off. You know, I mean, he he used my bow, and I filmed him, and he filmed me. It was crazy. That is so, nuts. You know, the market, uh, the, the world, crazy. The world of filming deer and TV shows has made it been so much easier now. I mean, you can you can almost do a pretty high quality production just with your iPhone. It seems like, but. Back oh, then, yeah. what what was it like back then? Because you were that was pretty early in the production world, and when everybody had DVDs, I suppose not even DVDs, they were probably oh, yeah. VHS tapes, right? That we would buy. Well, that was in the that was when DVDs were out. And okay. We were, as I recall, we had just switched over to uh, HD cameras, and you know we had standard definition cameras for years, and these bigger cameras, and we filmed on tapes. I mean, we used these little mini mini tapes and they were like little mini cassette tapes that we were filming back in the back in the day and we had just as i recall we i know it was we just switched over to filming with these new cam we call them chip cameras where they filmed on an sd card and it was so much easier than having to mess with tapes but it was early on when we had switched over to hd is is when we were doing that we were filming primarily for uh you know dvds back then and uh, and also television, but DVDs have kind of went by the wayside. As a matter of fact, breweries don't even make them anymore, but with the outdoor channel and the internet and YouTube, it's just nobody buys DVDs anymore. So anyway, we, uh, back in the day, I mean, we, we filmed a lot of hunts that were, they were put on, they had Whitetail Madness, uh, Dream Season, 100% Wild. There was a bunch Mm -hmm. of different DVDs that they produced every year, and we always supplied content for that and television. So you know, so I'm picturing. I don't remember what year that was. To be honest with you, I'm getting. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and look, but it's been a while. <laughs> so I'm picturing these guys from Northeast Missouri. They just love to hunt, and they think they could come up with this idea. Hey, we're going to drag a bunch of cameras. We're going to put two guys up in a tree. We're going to shoot deer, <laughs> and we're going to sell videos, and people are going to buy them. Did people think you guys were nuts? I mean, what was it like early on <laughs> with the breweries? Because they got it. They're, they're. Oh, it was fun. Uh, we started actually. I was. The very first DV, or actually VHS that they produced was called King of the Spring. And it was in 1989, I believe. 
And Mark contacted me, and, and I actually killed a turkey with Mark. He filmed it. It was 1989, I believe, and I, I shot a turkey in Illinois, and uh, we filmed and made that video. And, and he subsequently had a lot of other, you know, other kills with other guys. And uh, we made that first video, and then the next year we made a new one called uh, uh, King, or excuse me, uh, Sound of Spring. And it was kind of a tutorial on turkey. Mark and I are very fanatical turkey hunters. That's how we actually, and I can go back a little bit and tell you a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Mark and I were, were competitive turkey callers. We, we traveled all over the United States competing in calling contests, and that's how we ended up working our way up through the ranks and getting into the hunting industry. So we produced the, the first few jury years, I should say, were, were primarily turkey videos. And the sound of spring was the second one that we that we worked on, and it was kind of a tutorial on turkey vocalization. And we would talk about, you know, yelping and cutting and all that, and then show a hunt that was, you know, kind of associated with those types of calls. And it was really back in the day, it was it was it was very nobody was doing anything like that. And then later on down the line, uh, you know, after the turkey days, Mark started making deer videos. I had stepped away from deer outdoors for a few years, and then came back on board. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, they're Mark and Terry are incredible, incredible, incredibly smart guys, good marketers. And, uh, they understand the, the marketing aspect of these, you know, of the hunting industry and they, nobody does it better in my opinion. And, um, you know, proud to call them some of my very best friends. Yeah. You know, they, obviously you could tell they got passion for hunting and they love to hunt and they're good oh, yeah. at it, but did they, did they start out that whole thing? Like with a business model in mind? I mean, now they're, you're huge, but well, did I it don't start know. out that way. I think back then it was just, let's make some, let's make some videos. I don't think they ever dreamed it would get to the level it's at now. I think it was just a couple guy, a couple brothers that were filming each other hunting. And it took off and it just grew and grew and grew and added more and more people. And it, it, it eventually just it blew into a, a tremendous business for them. And um, they're such good guys and they, they, they meet the public so well and they it just it just worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, now they're just, you know, in my opinion, and as far as whitetails, there's there's nobody producing the whitetail content that Drew Outdoors does. I mean, it's just. There's a lot of good content out there, but it's consistently killing big deer and teaching people about habitat and how to plant food plots and how to hunt and moon phases. All the things that they've taught people, you know, calling is just, I don't know of anybody that's produced better content than them, in my opinion. Yeah, they're definitely on the cutting edge. And I think my earliest, my earliest vision of these guys were uh, both of them, Mark and Terry, in some type of like, Vietnam looking era, you know, camo jumpsuit or something yep. <laughs> with a floppy hat on and glasses. They look so young and they've got like a caterpillar under their lip and, you know, mustache and <laughs> totally oh, 80s. Yeah. That's probably what I remember looking at. But big tall ball caps. Yeah. Trucker yeah, style exactly. Ball caps. exactly. Big glasses and yeah, a lot yeah. of changes since then, buddy. Let me I tell know, you. I bet. Did you, uh, did you grow up in a hunting family? Like, what was your childhood like? No. No, that's the interesting part. I get asked that a lot because I'm I'm so into hunting and it's so much a big part of my life and has been for years, but my father did not hunt a lick. I never set foot in the woods with my dad. Hmm. We uh my dad was uh he loved the boating life and motorcycles and that type of thing and my dad passed away when I was eighteen, but he uh he was not a hunter. 
I think he deer hunted a little bit when he was, you know, way back when he was real young a couple of times. It just wasn't his thing. But I don't know where the drive and the passion for me came from, to be honest with you. I get asked that all the time. I, I can't answer that. It's just, I guess it's just something in my soul. That I, I, I kind of, I went squirrel hunting back when I was young and I, I, I loved the squirrel hunt and I just got attached to sneaking around shooting squirrels with a 22 rifle and it just squirrel hunting led to turkey hunting and deer hunting and it just went from there. But, um, I did not come from any type of hunting family whatsoever. Now, my wife's mom and dad were big hunters, and they both deer hunted. My mother-in-law and father-in-law both were deer hunters, and she came from a hunting family and a fishing family, big hunters and fishermen, but mine was not. I was not at all. Hmm. Do you remember the first time you shot? Kind of a unique deal for a guy like me because that's yeah. into it as much as I am to not have any family background uh, of hunters. Yeah, I was I was blessed that I grew up in a family that hunted. I had multiple generations, and they hunted. You know, they sure. probably hunted deer three three days a year. That was about it. And um, I can remember my dad shooting recurve in the backyard, and that got me going and shooting. And cool. um, but it was mainly mainly rifle season, Black River Falls, Wisconsin. But do you do you remember the first time you ever killed a deer? Do you remember that? Sure. What was that 1978, like? I believe, I killed my first deer with a gun. Uh, it was a doe, and I think the first bow kill was either 19... I, could, I always struggle with this. I think it was either 1981 or 82 I shot my first deer with a, with a bow, and, uh, you know, it was hooked for life. I, I really, really love... I mean, I gun hunt here in Missouri. You know, I, I, I do gun hunt the Missouri season. I quit gun hunting for several years. I just strictly bow hunted for probably about five or six years I didn't pick up a gun and then uh, I just strictly bow hunted and then when we bought our first farm because uh, I had places to bow hunt but I, I couldn't necessarily gun hunt them here and you know permission type deal and uh, there's a lot of people gun hunt up in this part of the country but anyway so I you know bow hunted a lot and then I would go to Illinois or Iowa or Kansas or wherever uh, during Missouri gun season well in 2000 my wife and I bought our first farm and here in Northeast Missouri. And then uh, it kind of rekindled my interest in gun hunting because I had my own farm. So I started back gun hunting in 2000. And, you know, I, it's only, I don't gun hunt out of state. I bow hunt a lot all over the country, but I strictly gun hunt here at home in uh, one of our farms that we, we have a couple that we have permission to hunt on one we lease. And then one with the course, the one we own, most of my deer hunting is done right here at my farm. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I do, uh, you know, as far as, you know, deer hunting, this deer hunting side of things. And I'm a big Western hunter as well. I love to hunt out West. I've been yeah. going out there since the mid eighties. Yeah. Maybe we'll dive into that. Cause you shot a nice elk, uh, this last year, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love elk hunting. It's my elk hunting so much like turkey hunting and turkey hunting is such a passion of mine. And I love elk hunting. I've killed a lot of elk with a bow and I've hunted a lot of Western states and it's, Deer and elk and turkeys are my thing. That's what I like to hunt. Elk. I have not had the pleasure of elk. I hunted in Utah when I lived out in California, and I got to go um, to Utah and, and hunt mule deer, and elk were bugling. But, that is, man, that's on my bucket list one of these days. Yeah, you need to go. It's it's very addicting. I uh, I killed my first elk with a bow in 1989, and I think I've, I've only missed one year since 1987, I believe it is going out west bow hunting and that was 2013 i went to alaska went moose hunting bow hunted moose that's the only year in those 
30 plus years that I haven't bow hunted elk. Does your wife support that? 100%. Yeah, I've she's got, behind it. I have a wife that, I mean, my wife understands my passion for hunting. Never, yeah, that's a non issue for me. She's, I couldn't have a better, uh, a better wife to let, you know, on the, from the hunting aspect of things. She knows how much I love it. Never, she I mean, she encourages me to go on my hunts. And yeah, that's, that's a non issue for me. My wife's pretty good about that too. I think she didn't come from a hunting family. And mm-hmm. when it, when it comes, I guess as we've aged in our marriage, we're married 17 years now, when the fall comes, she knows where my head goes. Cause she could just see it in my eyes. I just, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mentally yep. there, but I think I balance it with life and work. And I definitely don't hunt as much as I'd like to. For me, it's difficult to get away because of the family uh, my girls don't yeah. hunt, you know, I, I'm gone, you know, and it's not going to be good if I'm out, go for 10 days, two weeks on a, on an elk trip. Someplace. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up in age now. My kids are all raised and, you know, my son's 30, he just turned 36. My daughter's 41 and I've got grandkids that are hunting now. And, and, uh, you know, we, our family's a hunting family. We're an outdoorsy bunch and we love the outdoors. We love to hunt and fish and, I, I'm I'm in a, I'm in the point in my life now where I'm really interested in hunting with my grandkids and seeing them and they I've got two grandsons actually three grandsons two of them have killed deer and turkeys and I've got a granddaughter is my son's daughter she's uh I think she's eleven yeah she's eleven and she's already killed uh, I think she's killed seven deer and four turkeys and she's eleven yeah. years old yeah but she but Chris has raised her hunting I mean she she loves to hunt and she bounces out of bed in the morning when we take her hunting and she's ready to go. He loves it. Mm. So does my, so does my grandson. Well, you're doing something right. I, I just can't seem to get my girls interested. I got one that's kind of willing to go, but just not, I don't want to force them. I've been inviting them, no, I, you know, yeah. we'll see how it goes, but yeah, you can't force them if they don't have the interest. You know, I, one of my grandsons is not as interested as the other. One of them is really, really just loves to hunt. And the other one, he likes it, but it's not, it's not like the other one. The other one is just really, really enjoys it a lot, wants to go all the time. But yeah. you just got to let them do what they like to do. You can't force them. I never forced Chris to hunt. My son is, he's as big into hunting as I am. I mean, I took him a lot when he was young and my daughter. My daughter doesn't hunt much anymore. She's busy with her kids and, you know, raising her family. And, but Chris is, my son is, he's consumed with hunting. He loves it. And, now he's passing it on to his kids, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, take me back to, uh, you mentioned you bought your first farm back in 2000. Tell us about that and yeah, what I, you bought and why you bought it. And are you still there now? Well, it's an interesting story. I, uh, I was, I've always wanted to buy my own, my own farm. And I, you know, I was like a lot of people. I just couldn't swing it financially for a lot. I had to save up a lot of money and, and get in a position financially to afford it. So I was hunting a farm in northeast missouri and i had permission to hunt this farm for several years and had uh i didn't deer hunt it i just turkey hunted it and uh so i had a real good friend up here that uh, i i told him i said hey keep your eye open if you i'm kind of looking for a farm you know i'd like to have you know 80 120 acres something like that and it was really crazy because he told me about this real estate agent here in town just below us here one of the little farm towns that he said, call this guy. So I called this guy up and I said, Hey, I'm looking to buy a farm and here's kind of what I'm, I'd like to have some income. And same thing my clients ask me, they want some good hunting and, and, and some income. And, um, he told me about this 120 acre farm. 
and had CRP on it. Had 30, 30 acres of CRP and the rest of it was woods and brush. And he said, it's a really good hunting farm. He starts describing it to me. And it was the farm that I was hunting on. And it was the craziest thing ever. And I, I, I said, Ed, the guy's name was Ed. I said, Ed. And I, I mentioned the seller's name. I said, is this such and such a farm? She goes, yeah. I said, I've been hunting that farm. I know every square inch of that property. I didn't know it was for sale. I wasn't involved in real estate back then. I had no idea this farm was listed for sale. And uh, it just I had permission to hunt on it. There was no sign on it. So I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking to, you know, at the time when I was had permission to hunt this farm, I wasn't looking to buy. So I didn't even know it was for sale. And it wasn't even a lease. And I'll be darned. So I went out and so I went out there. <laughs> And uh, him and I went out together, and we looked it over, and I didn't really even need to look at it, and and I ended up buying that farm. And um, I was in 2000, so I've had it. That was 22 years ago. This is 2022. We're recording this, so it was 20 years ago. Uh, it was yeah, it was 20 uh, 22 years ago when I bought it, and um, it was pretty interesting. It was I, I had no idea it was for sale, and here I was hunting it, and I ended up buying it. <laughs> so, yeah. What, it was a 120 you, acre farm, had 30 acres of CRP on it. The rest of it was timber and brush. Were you leasing you know? it or were you just had permission to hunt? No, no, I just had permission to hunt it. It was, uh, it, back in the day here in North Missouri, it was not hard to find a place to hunt here, especially bow hunting and turkey hunting. Now, rifle deer hunting is a little bit different story. It was a little harder to do because right. most people have deer hunters on their farm or they hunt themselves. Family or whatnot. Family, yeah, friends, out of state, people coming in. Rifle season, you know, it's a big deal here. So uh, I just had permission to, to turkey, and, and I was only really turkey hunting on it. I wasn't deer hunting on it. I was deer hunting some other farms. But at one time, I had a ton of farms I could hunt on up here, and this was one of them. And, uh, yeah, it worked out really good. So it had an old house on it, and uh, it was a dilapidated old farmhouse and a couple of sheds. And I, I we bought the farm, and, and kind of a neat story we closed on it i believe it was march 30th and here i am you know i love turkey hunting so much and my wife and i had a camper up there on another farm that we were staying and i said let's drive out the day after we closed i said let's get up early and go over and listen on our new farm you know and i remember we drove over there and we pulled into the to the gate and got out of the truck and the turkeys started gobbling there was turkeys gobbling all the way around the area that back then we had a lot of turkeys and way more than we have now but uh, we stood there, and I remember I had a grin from ear to ear on my face. You know, here I'm listening to turkeys, and there's a bunch of them gobbling on the property that I just bought. That you own. So we bought that farm. We tore the old house down. We uh, tore the buildings down. Just cleaned it all up. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot. Of, the CRP needed some work, and we got all that done. And then I, I had a buddy that came out, a good friend of mine from Ohio. He's a built. He, you know, he's a carpenter, and he came out and spent a week with me, and we built. Uh, we I poured the slab and we built a I built a cabin on it and so we had that little cabin on that farm for several years and that's that's where I started my land ownership up here yeah. and then so what happened is I had that farm for 13 years you know and then in 2008 I started selling real estate I had bought that farm in 2000 well 2008 I started selling real estate so I don't know I guess it was 2013 uh a client of mine called me that was looking this farm that I own was listed and the one I live on now and it was listed and he called me he said hey would you represent me on this farm I'm like yeah let's go look at it so I called the listing agent and we came over and looked at the farm and he liked it and I really liked it and uh he came back the next day and looked at it with his son for whatever reason his son didn't really care for the farm 
but I really liked it. So I ended up selling him another farm. And then I, I called the agent back and I said, Hey, I said, uh, you know, I'd like to go walk that farm. I've got some personal interest in it. So he said, yeah, go right ahead. So I came up here and I spent a majority of the day just really, really combing it over, looking it over. And I told my wife, I said, I want to sell our other farm and buy this one. So we, uh, we decided to go ahead and get it bought. So we actually, I bought this farm before I sold my other one. And, uh, so the other farm, we had paid it off and I, I used the equity in that other farm is the down money to, to buy this one and got it bought, closed on it. And a couple months later, three months later, I sold my old farm and then I just took the money and paid my loan off and owned it free and clear. So go back, so go back. Let me, let me take you back there for a second. Cause you're, you're bringing up something that I know somebody out there that hasn't done this before. Isn't understanding. Mm-hmm. So you bought this property, yep. you saved up this first one, you bought it and huh? you paid it down. And you built mm-hmm. up some equity, and so you had mm-hmm. this. Basically, you had this money sitting there that was not be- being. It wasn't working for you. And you, right. how'd you get that money to go to the next one? Explain that part. Okay, so I had my other farm. I, I had it paid off. My my first farm. So you had a lot of equity. So it was it was a hundred percent equity. So what I did is I went to the bank and I said I want to buy this farm, you know that it, that I live on now, and I so he took the they uh, they used my my previous farm as collateral and and to borrow the money to buy this farm. So you didn't even have to so come out of they, your pocket with the twenty percent down. I you didn't just... have to come out of a pocket oh. with, with nothing, nothing. I had I had to make no down payment or anything because my farm was worth quite a bit of money, and the bank was in in, in great from a security standpoint for a lender. They were in great shape, so I just put my other farm up. I did deed of trust on my other farm and, and this one and I put it up and borrowed the money to buy this one. I just, I borrowed the full amount because I had, you know, I had a hundred percent equity in my other one. I just basically signed a deed of trust on my other farm, bought this one, closed on it. And, uh, you know, I would have had a payment on it a year later because it was an annual payment type situation. But when I sold my original farm, I took the, the money and just transferred it to the bank and paid the loan off. Mm-hmm. So I was free and clear on this farm. So it all worked out really good. Now, you know, land prices were quite a bit cheaper 13 years ago and, and 22 years ago when I bought the farm. So I was in a really good shape, you know, to, to buy this farm at a good price. Plus, I had my other farm that I had, you know, it, it, it appreciated over time from the time I bought it for 13 years that it went up, you know, tremendously in value. So that's how it worked. It worked out. It really worked out so easy. It was very easy process for me to do it this way. Is this a production farm? Gonna, you, you said that there, you didn't have any um, payment due for a year, and I see that with like mm-hmm. tillable ground because when you harvest, you make your payment. Is that what, right. is that what you bought? Well, my farm is my farm has sixty acres of tillable on it, and the rest of it's timber and grass. But it's not, you know, it's not heavily. But our, our the the local banks up here, they, you know, a lot of these ag based banks that we deal with, they do annual payments, and. I love it because you don't have to make a monthly payment and it really worked good for me. Now your interest is accruing obviously, mm-hmm. but you only make one payment a year. And like that. before my payment ever came due, I paid the loan off because I sold my other farm and I took all that money and went up to the bank and paid it off. Yeah. So it worked out really, really well. And, uh, I had the bar, I had the farm bought. Well, then I, then I built my house here. Well, actually I started building my house right after we sold the old farm and we, 
got our home built, put up a barn, and everything worked out really good. Moved in here November 3rd. I was really, really anxious, having anxiety about that because obviously the rut was getting ready to happen, and <laughs> our, our, we had to move right there during the prime rut was getting ready to kick in. I never moved so fast in all my life. I wanted to get everything in here and get in the woods. Wow. So That's a great yeah, story. But Yeah, it was really cool. And, and then to back up a little bit further, when I bought my first farm, we had a, we have a home in southern Missouri, and it was paid off. So we took the home equity loan and bought our first farm. That's how we bought our first farm. And then we took the equity out of the, the second or the, the farm that we originally owned and used it to buy this farm. So, yeah, it, it really worked out well. I never did have to just, you know, go out and put a big down payment down because I had equity in my collateral that, you know, the bank was in great shape. From, again, mentioned this earlier, they wanted their, you know, the collateral security and i was in a really really good shape equity wise to put that up for to get my money so and you know a lot of people don't realize you can use home equity to borrow money to buy a farm yeah i was just so. going to bring that up so there's there's a couple schools of thought here and you're seeming to be leaning towards one you you buy something and you pay it off and you build up that equity and you could actually use that equity so the new farm has a lien placed on the old one that's the that's the security for the bank right and so yep. you're just going out and making another payment or another purchase with that, but not having any money out of your pocket. And then you're selling the first one to either pay off or pay down significantly the second one. Now you have big equity again. Do you like right. to, do you like to have that big equity? Or do you believe like some other people say is don't ever pay them down. I mean, the money now, not so much is sliding up, but the money's been so cheap. Why would you? Yeah, not... well, you know, I I guess it's each individual has an opinion on that. I don't like a lot of debt. I, uh, and especially in the point, of, I'm 63, and I don't want to have a bunch of debt. I mean, I, we all have debt. I've had payments most of my life, like everybody else, car payments, house payments, all that type of thing. Right now, I don't have any, and I don't want any. But I, 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 there's something to be said for cheap money, borrowing money cheap and using your money wisely somewhere else. You know, um, I just went ahead. I just wanted to get it paid down. I didn't want to be faced with a big, big payment. You know, it was a significant payment once, even though it was, you know, it was once a year, it was pretty significant that I had to pay it and I could handle it or I wouldn't have bought it, but I knew I could get my house or my other farm paid for. And, and, and I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get the note paid down and get it paid off. And that's what I did. And, um, uh, that's just, that's the way I choose to go. And there's, there, I'm sure there's business guys out there way smarter than me that say, well, you could use your money wisely, you know, wiser, borrow money, borrow money at a, at a better rate. But I just, I just took all my equity and rolled it into my farm and paid it off. And obviously now, I mean, I'm sitting on a ton of equity in it right now, even though I'm never going to sell it unless something happens to me and I have to sell it, something like that. But I, uh, I just like knowing that, you know, financially, I'm secure and everything's. I'm in an equity position, and and really not carrying a bunch of debt. I just debt keeps me awake at night. I've just always been that way. I'm a super conservative guy. All that equity sitting there. Do you think you'll ever consider diversifying outside of a farm? Maybe multifamily. You know, I've thought about that or... a lot. I've, I've I've actually thought about using some of the equity in this farm to. To, to, to invest in other areas of business, but I, I just haven't. I don't know why. I'm I'm so busy dealing with my Whitetail Properties real estate business. I don't really have a lot of time to, to deal with looking into other investments, and I'm so geared towards farms and 
that's just kind of where my head's at all the time on land and farms and I understand it too so I have a comfort level there you know I understand the farm business and and uh you know income off of farms and returns and that type of thing and other businesses I don't know a lot about I've got friends that are that are invest in commercial investments and things of that na- things of that nature and I have interest in it but not enough that I've dived into it you know yeah yeah there's something to be said to stick into your your strength I I probably it took me a while to get to that point and I dabbled in a lot of different things and I made some terrible decisions. I won't, that'll be another podcast. How I lost a $120,000 on investment. I don't even want to talk about it, but, sure. but, um, once I met well, you guys, it happens, you know, it, it happens. It, it, yeah. If people, you know, sometimes you take a risk and I, I've always said, if, if, if you have to be a risk taker to be wealthy, I'll never be wealthy because I'm not very good at taking risk. I, I, a little bit maybe, but I am a, such a conservative guy. I, I just, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a bunch of money. I mean, I was a blue collar working guy and I'm not a rich guy. I live very comfortably. I've got a good job that pays me well. And, and, uh, I, I'm just super conservative and I don't, I haven't forgotten what it's like to live really, really lean paycheck to paycheck. Cause I've lived that lifestyle and, and I, I have great empathy for people that have to live that way. And I guess that's why I'm so conservative. I just want to hang on to, you know, my, my money and, and be smart about it and, and use it wisely. You yeah. Know? So. If you're sitting around the, the fire pot at the probes farm, can, what lessons yeah. can, can you pass on to your grandchildren? You know, your, your grandson or granddaughter says, grandpappy, well, I want to do this. Know, what would you tell them? Life in general, you mean just work hard, uh, be honest, be smart, you know, uh, think things through and just be patient in life. And, you know, I don't know, I, I was raised to work hard. I know I, I seems like that's all I've done all my life is work, 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 you know, and, but it's, it's paid off. We've, we've lived a pretty comfortable life for a lot of years because a lot of effort went into the businesses I've been in. And I think just work hard and treat people right and be honest. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way I live my life. Not a bad, not a bad philosophy. Well, where do you think, yeah, where do you think the, the land business is going? I mean, you've seen it way back when, when, Nobody was buying hunting farms, and you could just pick one up at pretty much anywhere. It seems like and yeah. they're fairly cheap, and now everybody and their brothers, you know, buying and selling. And it's I think Whitetail Properties has a lot to do with that. We've kind of brought it to the forefront, and it seems like everybody's trying oh, yeah. to get in, into the game now. What? How's it changed in the last twenty twenty five years? Well, it's changed dramatically in the last you know fifteen years or so, fourteen fifteen years. I remember uh, when we started Whitetail Properties in two thousand and eight. I mean. There was, there was really nobody out there specializing in hunting land and rec ground and basically land in general. It was mostly other brokers that just sold land as a side side item. Really, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of land brokers back then. And I I, I agree with you 100. percent I think we led the charge there and opened up the side word this right. I think we really you know shined the light on being able people how to buy land how to make it work and land ownership is such a good thing, a great investment. And it's, you know, I look at the amount of farms that's been sold since I've been in the business. It's just mind blowing. I mean, I, I sell, I probably sell, well, I, I sell around 50 plus farms a year, uh, here in my area and, and uh, you know, Northeast Missouri, North central Missouri, and a little bit, I'm, I'm licensed in Iowa. I do a little bit of business over in Iowa, but primarily in the North Missouri here, but, yeah, it, it, I never thought it would get to the level that it's at now. I mean, we have more buyers than we have 
people willing to sell. That's the biggest problem we have right now is finding enough inventory to satisfy the number of buyers we have. And it, like you mentioned, I never, you know, it, it, it's just so much different now. It, and, it, and I understand it too from the guys that can't afford a, a piece of ground and they're, they're trying to find a place to hunt. And I, I understand that because I've been there where, you know, now land is either own it or you lease it or it's difficult to find a place to hunt. And I, I feel bad for the guys that can't swing it because there's a lot of those guys out there that can't afford to buy a farm. And I mean, I was that way. I mean, I was 40, 42, I think, 42 years old before I ever got to a position where I could, you know, buy a farm. And when I bought mine, I mean, it was much, much cheaper than it is now. And land prices have gotten really, really high. And I don't know where it's going to go. I really don't know. I mean, it, it, it. I've never seen since the last two years, the demand has been incredibly high and the supply is not, you know, has not met the demand. And, uh, I, I don't know what's driving that. It's, it's, I don't know what's driving. I say this, I tell people this all the time. I don't know what's driving this people wanting to buy land scenario that we're living through right now. There's just so many people wanting to buy land. And before it wasn't like that, you know, back 12, 15 years ago, you had a few guys that owned, that had hunting farms. And, but now, I mean, there's so many people on land up here all over the Midwest, all over the country, actually. But yeah. here in the Midwest, I mean, we're, you know, we're known for big white tails and turkeys and, and interestingly enough, probably 60 plus percent of my clients are from out of state and they come in here to North Missouri and they buy land and, you know, our prices are, have always been reasonable here and taxes are very reasonable here. And plus you can get a tag every year. You can get a tag and you don't have to draw or anything like that. So Missouri has been a really good, a really good destination for non-resident buyers. What's but the to album? answer your question, where do I see it going? Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to answer that, Neil. I mean, it's, I guess we'll see what these next few years bring, and but it's it's been an incredible ride for the last first couple of years of Whitetail Properties was a little slow. We had to get established. Plus, we were coming off the the bank crunch in 2008, and about the third year we really took off, and you know it's been incredible ever since. But yeah, we just keep selling farms, and <laughs> it just keeps going year after year. What I'm seeing up here, and I'm wondering if it's it's similar down there. Like, how close to you are are you to St. Louis? Oh, right here, about two hours, two hours. and where, where my farm is, and probably two to the St. Louis metro area, about two and a half hours. Okay. And that's a lot of the reason the county I live in is is very very desirable. It's straight shot up from St. Louis, four lane highway all the way to get here. You can be here a couple hours on a Friday night yeah. after work, come up, enjoy your farm for the weekend hunt hang out, do whatever. You just get away from the city. And a lot of people just want to get out of the city, you know, and uh, get out of town and, and enjoy the peace and quiet of being out in the country, you know. What I think is happening is a, probably a couple layers um, deep. Um, the TV shows and the everything on YouTube, I and mean, you can watch people do these things out in the outdoors that before – you know, YouTube's been around, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, but it, now it's been, it's really in your face. You sit in your 70 inch television, you turn it on, you can literally yep. live vicariously through the TV and it's almost like you're there. And I think it strikes, uh, you know, something deep in people's heart that's always been there, but now they get to see it and they see it often and they think, gosh, I want that. And so I think the visualness think of right. our industry has something to do with it. I think, also, the polit political world that we're in, um, without getting too much into left or right, 
Um, I know up in my market here, there's people, they're pouring out of the Twin Cities and they're of all, they're all types of people, affiliations of politics and otherwise. And they're wanting to get out and they're buying property and it's pushing the value up. And I had a conversation with a guy today. Um, his name is Mike and Mike asked me to shed hunt my farm. And I said, yeah, and maybe Mike's listening to this someday. And um, we got talking about, you know, I want to buy land and you sell land. I looked you up and I said, yeah, that's what I do. And we started talking about that. And we got into this discussion about the cost per acre of guys like me are coming out from the cities because I'm I, I don't live in the Twin Cities, but I live near there. To him, I'm a city it, they call us, and uh in a nice way they call us that. And and we're buying this land and we're paying, you know, now people are paying three grand an acre, even thirty-five for like mixed hardwoods and fields, swamp and some tillable, uh, down to maybe twenty five hundred. But you know, just a few years ago, these guys were able to buy a little forty for you know twenty five hundred to maybe two down to two thousand fifteen hundred bucks an acre even he says we can't do that anymore because guys like you are coming out here and you're you know you're driving the price up what do you say to people that kind of have the attitude that the buy the that the agents are driving the price up or a person is driving the price up because i i gave them an answer but i'd like to hear yours do, do you have that much control on your local market you're driving it no. up I mean, I know a lot of people assume that we run the prices up. And I, I've never, I've never felt that way. I uh, the market runs the prices up, the demand, and you know, people, people that own land, uh, they're, I think, majority of the people that own land, they kind of have an idea what their land is worth. They, they've got their, you know, they just, they pretty much know what it's worth, and and I think. I think that there, the, the world we're living in now, there's so much talk about people buying land, and the word is out that their demand is there, and the prices keep going up, keep going up, going up, and going up. I personally don't like to see the prices get super high because I think it'll get to the point where if it gets too high, that it, you know, it'll slow the selling down, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, great and point. I, I think that, you know, I, I don't, I do, I believe that, and I, I honestly like we get people in this market we're in right now, calling us up and they'll, I've had guys, I've turned down listings that were extremely uh, exorbitant prices that there's no way I felt like I could even get close to what they want because they've heard the talk on the street that land prices are going up mm -hmm. and the, you know, the land prices are crazy. And I'm, you, you know, you'd think there'd be more sellers right now because of that. And I mean, there, there's just not a lot of sellers right now because the problem is, if you buy, if you sell a farm right now for a big high price, and you you got to replace that farm if you want to keep a farm. Now, if you want to cash out and pay your capital gains tax, or you know, ex do a ten thirty one exchange into some other type of investment, that's a different story. But if you want to like like right here, like my farm, I've, I've got this this farm I bought here. I, I bought it. If I turn around and sold it for what it's worth right now. I'd have to go out and buy another farm. If I wanted to go buy another farm, I'm, I'm not going to gain any acres because the, the price of land has shot up so high. You know, it would be a lateral move or maybe <clears throat> maybe not even a lateral move because the, the way land prices are. But getting back to your original question, yes, I've had, I've had people say that to me. You guys have run the prices up. Why, why would we run the prices up so high that it doesn't sell? You know, we don't want to do that. We want to, we don't, I don't want to list ground. I want to sell it. I think it's a great and point. You price I, yourself right out of the market if you run it up. Yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> it, and people aren't stupid. I mean, buyers are buyers are savvy. I mean, they're, they they 
the market is set by what the buyers are willing to pay. Yes. And a prime example of that is like on our auction division, ranch and farm auctions, you know, some of the farms that I'm selling right now, we put them out for auction. And when you have that auction that, that day, the, the public is telling you what they think that property's worth. I mean, and, you know, that, that side of the business is growing rapidly uh, down here. And, and it's all auctions are pretty big down here. But I feel like my market right here, the auctions have really kind of set the market over the last couple of years because you see all these auctions and, this, and, and the results are, you know, out there for the public to see. Well, then other landowners see that. And they, they may not want to auction, but they want to sell. And then they... <laughs> They see that Joe Blow's auction brought this much. Well, my farm ought to bring that much or more. And I think the auctions have set the price here more than more than just listing agents right here in our area. Well, doesn't that and, highlight? Um, doesn't that highlight the problems with that these guys are staying? Because, I mean, this guy's story. Look, I'm just a local guy from this little town in Polk County where my farm is at, mm-hmm. I, I can't afford this stuff. And you're you're telling mm-hmm. me that. The buyer set the market, but there's he's kind of got a point there, right? Because the guys are coming from elsewhere, not from that town, right. and they're paying right. more, <laughs> and it's driving the price yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, and people, I mean, there's there's always going to be somebody that has more money than you. So That's what do you block, say to that guy? Right? I can't get into the market. I can't afford it. How am I going to get into the market when these guys from out of this area are driving it up? How do I how do I how do I get into this thing? What do you tell the guy? Well, you know. Some folks just aren't going to be able to afford to buy any land, or if they, if, if with the prices the way they are right now, they're going to not be able to buy as much land if they can buy any. And I would say, you know, that's a really tough question to answer. And I guess what you're it's saying, a little is, loaded. how do you tell a guy? Pardon me. It's a little loaded. Yeah, a little bit loaded there. I mean, what do you tell a guy that just can't uh, can't swing it? Is what you're asking me, Neil? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I'll tell you what. Prices. Yeah, I mean, I can give you my answer, and I'll tell you what I told him. And this is my answer. I said. Look, I'm not trying to poke you in the eye, but here's here's how you do this. I came from a small town, factory workers. My dad never earned over, when I was with him, never earned over $40,000 a year, and he had five kids he was taking care of. We ate pancakes and eggs for dinner some nights because we had no money. But I left there, and I went, and I got educated, and I went in the military, and I moved away for 10 years to California, and I dreamt about hunting and fishing and I didn't get to do it. And I wasn't even in the state to do it. And then I came back and I, I, you said you didn't get your first place till 40. I was, I think I was 40 ish as well. 42, I think before I ever bought my first place. And a lot of these guys, you know, I'm talking to these guys that are listening to this probably, hopefully uh, my, my whole two listeners that listen to this podcast, um, they're, you know, they're 25 to 30 years old and they hear all the time. I want to get a piece of land. I'm like, guys, I didn't buy my first piece of land. Jeff didn't buy his first piece of land until we were 40. So you got 20 more years to wait yeah. and you got to make life decisions to get you where you want to go. Stop looking at next week or next month or next year and think, where am I going to be in 10 years from now and start making the money moves well, to be there. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, look, I, I never even had a hope when I was in my 20s. I was raising kids, working in a factory. I had no no dream. I mean, I always wanted to own my own land, but I never thought I'd be able to afford it. And I just worked really, really, really hard to get to the point where I could buy some ground and to hunt on because hunting's my passion. And I wanted to own a piece of ground in North Missouri to hunt on. And I just worked really, really hard to do it. And I, I completely understand that things are different now than they were then. 22 years ago, I bought my farm for $500 an acre. That farm today would sell for, 
if that farm that I used to own was on the market right now, it would probably sell for somewhere around 45, 47, 50 an acre. Yeah. And that's how much it's changed. And that's not because every real estate agent's out there running the price up so he can make more commission. That's just the nature of the business. Everything goes up over time. And there's nothing you can do to stop progress. And the land business is no different. I mean, it's going to go up. People own their land. They well, I'll sell it, but I want this for it. And, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation for a lot of guys. I had a guy call me up one night and literally cussed me out on the phone and hung mm-hmm. up on me, blame me for, I think it's the same guy calling me. me. <laughs> yeah. He called me up and he said, he asked me if this is, he said, are you Jeff Brooks? I said, yes, sir. I am. How can I help you? He said, well, it's guys like you that have run the price of land up in North Missouri. I'll never be able to afford a farm anymore. And I tried to talk to him and he just got really, I mean, I don't know if he was drinking or what his deal was, but he was really upset. And I uh, hung up on me and I tried to call him back so we could have a civil conversation. And yeah. but the last thing I want to do is, you know, get out here and, 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 and feel like, you know, I'm out here jacking these prices up to where people can't afford it, but the people that have a lot of money, that's, and you know, the, the market, the market is just the market. If there's the people are going to, they're only going to pay what they feel it's worth. You know, you can't just say, well, look, let's go to a seller and say, hey, I think we can, let's put your farm out there at X dollars that's not even attainable and try to run the price up. The, it's going to follow the market and the market, the prices come from the buyers. Right. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. So yeah, that's my opinion anyway. All right. Well, we got about. And I, I think, I think the, when, because when land prices, I've seen, I know several years ago, land got really, really high over in Illinois. And I remember land was selling like crazy, and it was skyrocketing up. I mean, this is back right when White Tail Properties was starting, right before, actually. And I remember land prices were going up 20 25% a year, just skyrocketing fast. Over in Pike, Brown, Adams County, the Golden Triangle area, where everybody, all the hype, well, the deer hunters was. Well, anyway, uh, it got really, really high, really, really fast, and then it stopped. It, it slowed way down. It didn't sell as good. And then there were some adjustments on the price, and then it started moving again. but there was this land rush, and, and it's kind of similar to what we're going through now all over. There's kind of a land rush, and people fear of missing out, being able to buy a piece of ground before it gets too high. And it's just it's getting gobbled up so fast. And I never thought I'd see prices get to where they are today. Nobody, nobody yeah, did. No. You talk to guys at, you know, Buffalo County land where I'm at when I got out of graduate school in 1997. I think if you go back, it was probably 600 bucks an acre. And there are oh, yeah. good quality farms that are set up in the good, better parts of Buffalo that are selling at seven grand an acre. And that's a little, you know, yeah, that, I mean, we're like talking here, hunting like farms. Here, here in Missouri, North Missouri, I'm not selling anything right now sub $3,500 an acre. And for years, I mean, I remember when we got up, like, you know, when I first started, we were selling hunting farms for fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks an acre. Then it got to 17, 18, and it just slowly kept creeping up and creeping up. And I remember when we broke it, and I'm talking about hunting farms, combination, a little bit of tillable, maybe some CRP and timber, just primarily recreational type ground. And I remember when it broke 2000, I thought, wow. And now you couldn't buy a piece of ground here for $2,000 an acre unless it was WRP ground. And it would, it's just not, it, it, it's just, over the and really since COVID hit is when it really shot up because the demand for land, uh, there was a lot of people just wanting to get out of the city and put up a cabin and get away from people. This virus thing scared a lot of people. We had people, I had people calling me looking, they wanted to buy a 40 or 50 acres and put a cabin up and put a mobile home on it. 
just they were so scared of this virus they just want to get being around lots of people yeah they wanted to get away place to get away from from the covid pandemic you know get away from the big city and big crowds and that that's where it started in my opinion to where you know land prices started really really going up fast quickly and um same here I, and, I, and I, I know a lot of ages that they agree with me on that that that's what drove the the, the increase in land prices over the last two years, ever since this pandemic hit. Well, do you think it's going to plateau a little bit and then it'll just take, I do. take off again? Or I do think, you think it'll drop? I don't think it'll go down. I think it's possible. I, I, You know, I've been doing this again. This is my 15th year. And I have never seen land prices drop on, on a little bit of adjustment on tillable ground because it follows the commodity markets more right. than obviously what we, we, we primarily sell recreational type ground down here. And I've never seen recreational ground go backwards in price in my career. It's never happened. Do you think that's a regional now, thing, or is it, that national? Do you think it's the same everywhere? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. I. I it. I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's probably a national thing. I because I don't. I've never heard of anybody saying, "Hey, prices are falling uh, on rec type ground." I mean, I don't. To be honest, I don't pay a lot of attention to what goes on outside of my immediate area here. You know, in the Midwest. Now, I don't know if it's you know Texas ground or southern states or whatever might be going backwards a little bit on land prices. I guess that's a possibility. But here in the Midwest, I've never seen land prices go down on the type of ground that I specialize in, which is hunting and recreational ground. I've never seen it go backwards. Now, there's a lot of people are asking me now because it's gotten so high if I think it could adjust. And I'm like, well, anything's possible. But as long as the demand is there, I don't see it going down. I mean, the demand is definitely there. There you go. So, there's it's a supply demand issue. There's there's not enough. There's not enough. I mean, I've, I I literally think I could have sold 100 farms last year if I could have got the inventory. If I could have got the listings. I mean, we sold 56 last year, me and my two guys. But I we probably could have sold 100 farms if we could have got the yeah the listings. There just wasn't enough available. I agree. So. I get I get calls, multiple calls daily. But oh yeah. Well, Jeff, yeah, I mean, we're, it, we're coming was, up on about 56 minutes, and I, well, so I'm getting ready to close this out, but do you have any pearls of sure. wisdom? I mean, somebody out there, a guy out here right now is listening, going, wow, this guy's saying some great stuff. Give me, give us some parting pearls of wisdom. I'm looking for my first piece of property. I got a little bit of money in my pocket I've been able to save up. How, what do I do? How do I find this? I mean, give me something really greedy and good. How do I get my first piece of land? How do you find, well, and... and I'm not saying this because it's what I do for a living, but the, the best thing to do is find a good qualified land agent that knows what he's doing. That's honest and hardworking and lay out your, you know, know your, know your limits on finances. Number one. I mean, don't go into this thinking you can buy a half a million dollar farm when you really can only borrow a $300,000 farm type deal. Just know your limitations, find yourself a good agent, hopefully a white tail properties agent and lay out what you're looking for and just probably the, the the real key is to be super patient um don't rush into anything and i'll be honest when i first bought my farm i wanted to buy a farm so bad was it the perfect farm that i wanted not really but it was it was good enough for me at the time but i i i, I i'm not saying i rushed into it but i probably didn't have everything i would have wanted in a farm but i wanted to buy it and it all worked out but i think be patient. Uh, tell your agent what you're looking for. Keep in close contact with that agent. Have him keep close contact with you and give him the area that you want to be in and 
research that area. I mean, we specialize in deer hunting ground, so most of the people I deal with, they want to know the, you know, the good areas where there's good neighbors and good parts of the county. If you find the right agent, he's going to know those things. And uh, I get that all the time. They want to know, you know, what part of the county I think is best, certain counties that I work in. Do I know anything about the neighbors? Yeah. Sometimes I, I typically can find out what's going on in the neighborhood, but or be least... patient. Don't jump into anything. Know yeah. your limitations on what you can afford. And um, that's, it's pretty simple, really. It's a lot of just plain common sense. Yeah. Good advice. All right, yeah, brother. I mean, I, I think the biggest mistake people make is rushing in, buying a farm without really researching it and knowing what they're getting into and, you know, and just really lean on your agent and, and have him have him analyze that property and understand everything there is to know about it before you sign off on everything and buy it. I would say so, take your time. Don't waste the agent's time. time. Be, patient. be patient, but don't waste his time. Be ready to move when you see it. And therefore you have yep. to know what you want. You got to know what you want. And then yep, you got to know what you want. Don't and, wait for and, perfect. And, and, yeah, because perfect's hard to find. I mean, you can take a farm and don't be, you know, perfect's don't. Cost. Some of these farms we sell are absolutely perfectly set up, turnkey type deals we call them. Yeah. But most farms they need they need some kind of fix up, some kind of work. So you got to look look ahead of what the farm can be, not what it is at the time. Yes. Like if you see a farm that's all grown over and it's junk on the farm and that needs cleaned up, you got to visualize. My farm was that way. I mean, there was a, there was old junk house here on this farm, old buildings, grain bins. I cleaned all that up. It looks completely different now. So have a, you know, have, have a vision of what the farm can be and not just what it is at yes. the time you buy it. I always tell people, I'd say, Hey, I want to stand here and I see, can make it better. see that, see that pile of junk and that broken down mobile home and that broken down building there. You know what that is? And one guy says, yeah, big headache. I go, no, that's money. Because all you got to do is clean that up, and you just gained 500 maybe a 1000 bucks an acre some places because nobody else can see past that either. That's the opportunity. Yeah, That's you got to look ahead. I mean, again, look, look what the farm can be, not just what it is when you buy it. And yeah, I exactly. clean that thing up, and, and I had an appraiser ask me one time you know, if I could give anybody a, you know tips to, uh, to a seller uh, in getting a farm ready to go to market. And the first thing I told him was to clean up the junk, mow the trails, fix it all up, and make it presentable. Yep. And you know, it's just, it'll help the value of the farms. If you buy an old farm that's run down, needs a lot of work and you put some sweat equity into it, you're going to make money down the road. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have some guys back here, maybe you, and we'll talk a little bit deeper into that, you know, built, finding a a rundown farm and fixing it up and talking about the process. So maybe we'll have you back. But Jeff, I really appreciate, we have gone over an hour and I'm taking all your time. You got to get back out in that tractor because that grass is going to get cut (laughs) on its own, but Buddy, I really oh, appreciate. Help, yeah, I really appreciate you being on here, and I look forward to seeing you uh, probably in July. Okay. Okay, bud. Sounds good. We'll see you at the national sales meeting, and thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Thank you.